Winterhawk Podcasting presents Lower 48. Episode 8, Trapdoor Spider. Hey, what's up, Cammie? Hey, Cammie. Um, we are in Tuscaloosa, Alabama right now. We're actually just getting ready to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but we came here because it is the next stop in the Tibbs Journal. And we've accepted. we've reached a place of acceptance. Yeah, we have decided to continue of our own volition. Yeah, not because upper management is forcing us to, which they are. Right. To be Let, clear. Yeah, we just, we need everybody to know that. <laughs> but we are, uh, we've taken a, a deep look inside of ourselves yeah. and decided that we are going to continue with what we committed to do originally. So, it, and in doing so, obviously, continuing to do what you want now. <laughs> so we are uh, currently, like I said, we're currently in Tuscaloosa. Um, in Tibbs' journal, he he stopped at a little motel here for about a week. And so we, our plan was to stop at the motel, try to get the same room that he was in. Um, but when we got here, uh, it turns out that they completely gentrified the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that little motel is now uh, an office building with a... With like a hip bar Yeah, underneath a pretty nice it. bar, like, actually, yes. underneath it. So. so we had to kind of regroup a little bit. We went into the bar, and we just went up to... We were like, well, let's just get a drink. We'll sit here, and we'll we'll, we'll figure out what we're going to do. We're doing. You know? And so we were kind of planning on looking around for a place to stay and trying to find maybe somebody who's a little older who might have been around here at the time. But um, as we were sitting there... There was a guy just a couple stools down at the bar. Yeah, he was, he was wearing like a crumpled suit. And yeah. He just like smelled really weird. He was sitting at his stool and it, it I could tell he'd been there a lot because it almost looked like the stool had molded to the shape of his body. Yeah, it was really... <laughs> you know? uh... It's like the soft seat stools. And it looked like memory foam, but those stools were not memory foam. Yeah, it was actually really sad yeah. because, you know, it, it just looked like this guy couldn't, you know, function without yeah. without a drink. And We just started chatting with him because you know how we get. It's hard for us to not just, like, start a conversation when we feel either awkward or bad about what's going on. So, like, all the time. So, we kind of struck up a conversation with him. He was pretty, pretty sloshed. And so... Um, we kind of talked to him for a little bit and, you know, got him some water and he kind of, he kind of came out of it a little bit and, uh, he started apologizing to us and, you know, he, he's like, I wasn't always like this. And we were like, no, dude, it's, it's okay. You know, yeah, we barely know you. <laughs> we it's don't fine. know you. Like, we don't know enough about you to judge you. But, um, he just kind of like it, his whole life story just kind of came spilling out of him. It was a little incoherent, but this is basically what he told us. You want to know how I ended up here, drunk in this bar? 
When I first came to Alabama, I was a bright-eyed 18-year-old studying accounting at the university here. It wasn't glamorous, and I knew that basically the only thing that I had waiting for me back home in Michigan was a job at my dad's firm. But I knew that this inevitable fate was better than being homeless and a drunk hanging out in the same bar for the last 25 years. Anyway, while I was in college, I lived in this house, and I was very lucky because my roommates, Gavin, Bart, Izzy, and Kevin, were all amazing. We became very fast friends, and as the years went on, it became more and more apparent that after graduation, things would change dramatically. And so we decided to have one last celebration before the inevitable. We made plans to go camping. Kevin had heard of a great spot a few hours away in the mountains. Now camping wasn't exactly something that I would be excited to do. But the idea of getting drunk in the woods with my best friends was something that I couldn't turn down. We packed Bart's van full to the top with mostly beer, but also the essentials, our tents, our chairs. And we went on our way. We were able to drive for a few hours before the sun started to set. We ended up coming to a bridge. It was a one-lane bridge, and it stretched over a small ravine. The only issue was that it was very difficult to see over the top. We couldn't tell if there was another car coming. Bart decided to go, but as he drove, the flashing headlights of another car startled us, and we screamed as Bart maneuvered and took the van into the ravine, hitting a rock. The car sputtered for a few seconds before dying completely. We sat there in shock about what just happened. Gavin finally checked in with us. He asked if we were all okay, the first words that were uttered since the incident. We were all a little banged up, but generally fine. By the time Kevin suggested that he go and look for help, the sun was almost completely set. He said that he would try to get to the town that was a few miles back and hopefully be able to find some cell reception. I suggested that we all go together, but our stuff was in the van and the locks were broken. So Kevin assured me that he was going to be okay and he took off down the road with nothing but a water bottle and his red jacket for warmth. We sat in the car for several hours. It was late, and we decided that it was stupid to have let Kevin go alone. So we grabbed our backpacks, filled it with a few essentials, and began walking in the direction that Kevin had left. We walked for what felt like hours until we came to a dirt path that branched off the main road. That's where we saw Kevin's water bottle. We decided to go down the path to look for him. It was pretty difficult to navigate in the dark. None of us had decided to bring a flashlight. But before long, we came upon a clearing. In the clearing, we saw an old-looking, one-story log cabin, like something you would see in a Porter Rockwell painting. The word, in, was written across the sign above the door, and it looked as though the light was on. We proceeded inside. The rustic interior and mounted deer heads really played into this idea of southern hospitality. 
I also noticed that there were hallways stretching both to the left and to the right of the front desk. It seemed as though, perhaps in the darkness, the building was more obscured and it was larger than I had originally perceived. Behind the desk was a bellman, wearing a red suit and a little hat. We walked up to him and immediately he asked us if we needed rooms for the night. Izzy stepped up and asked if we could use the phone, and unfortunately the bellman said that they didn't have a working phone, not out there, and so instead we asked if he had seen our friend, but the bellman said that we were the first people that he had seen all night, and then he asked again, would you like a room for the night? We didn't have that much money between us, and so I asked, how much is it? To which the bellman replied, ten dollars, with a smile. For $10, Izzy wanted his own room, and so Bart, Gavin, and I decided that we would take the other room. As we walked down the hall, I noticed that the paint and the wallpaper had started to peel. When we got to our room, Izzy pushed past us and continued down the hall. The room itself was pretty small and sad. A single twin bed sat in the corner, and there were two wooden chairs by a small table. And that was it. But I guess what could you expect from a $10 room? As I got settled in, I heard a door slam out in the hallway. It must have been Izzy finally getting into his room. In an attempt to cheer up the mood, Gavin opened his bag and produced a couple of beers in glass bottles. I gotta say that even though the situation was dire, that beer tasted so sweet on my lips. In fact... I didn't have just one, and after several drinks, we realized that there wasn't a bathroom in the room. A little confused, I suggested that perhaps this place had a shared restroom like the dorms. So we ventured out into the hallway, a little intoxicated and trying to be quiet. In our drunken state, we decided that Izzy needed to be party to this adventure, so we walked over to his room. Bart said that he really needed to pee, so he was just going to head over to the bathroom and meet us there. We walked up to Izzy's room and I politely knocked on the door, but as I knocked I realized that the door was a cheap flimsy plywood, and as I knocked, paint chips began to flake off the door onto the floor, and that's when I heard another door slam behind me. It was the second slam of the night. When I turned around, I noticed that the bellman was peering around the corner. I looked at Gavin, but when I looked back, the bellman was gone. Was he just concerned about the slamming doors? I could tell that Gavin was on edge as we walked down the hallway looking for the bathroom. We passed many doors, one suddenly flew open, and the bellman lunged at Gavin, grabbing his arm. Instinctively, I grabbed Gavin by the shirt and pulled him hard and we both fell backwards onto the ground. That's when the door that the bellman had come out of slammed shut. Immediately, I got up and I began sprinting with Gavin close behind me. As we made it to the front desk, we turned to go out the front door, but there was the bellman. His torso was human, but I saw that his legs looked more like a spider's. He lunged at us, mouth open. We doubled back forcing open one of the doors. We slammed it shut and threw our entire body weight behind it to keep the bellman from getting in. 
It was dark in this room, and I fished around and finally found a light switch. But when I turned it on, the dim bulb illuminated what looked like a mummified corpse hanging in a web. The shallow husk looked drained of all life, and I noticed that he was wearing a red jacket. As I processed what I was seeing, a vent opened up on the ceiling and out poked the head of the bellman. We immediately threw open the door and began running. Reaching the front door, we realized that it was sealed shut. The bellman was right behind us. I grabbed a wooden chair from the lobby to try to put something in between me and the monster. Gavin grabbed a chair as well, but he threw his against the window, attempting to break it. The chair did pass through the window, but it wasn't accompanied by the sound of shattered glass, but rather the tear of paper or perhaps cellophane. As the window broke, the bellman winced in pain and began to scream at us. I ran and leaped through the window, landing on the front porch outside. But as Gavin tried to come through, the bellman grabbed him by the leg and began to pull him back in. I reached out and I grabbed his hand and I pulled as hard as I could, but to no avail. He slipped and was pulled into a back room where the door slammed shut. I ran down the path, and as I got to the main road, I was nearly hit by a passing car. They gave me a ride back to town. That next day, I was able to convince the sheriff to come out with me to find what I was sure to be the remains of my friends. We of course found the car, but going down the dirt path, we never found the cabin, and that clearing was completely empty. And I never told this story to anyone because know that they wouldn't believe me, but I know that there are things in this world that no one can explain, and that's just the way things go. Look, I don't know how much of what he told us was, like, his memories, or like, you know, this drunken, you know, fabrication of this traumatic thing, but something clearly happened to this guy. Yeah, after he finished telling us that part of the story Mm -hmm. he tried to go on but sort of trailed off and passed out on the bar yeah just slumped over and at that point you know it was we were feeling like a little awkward and the bartender kind of told us like it it's okay you know this happens all the time so we we took off after that but it was just like it was just sad i mean it's like it was a it was a spooky story and I was like when he was telling I was really engaged with it but like just seeing what he is now it just kind of it was just kind of sad you know yeah you, you don't think that any of that actually happened though well no, well we went out to where that little bridge that he talked about was and just looked around cuz we weren't that far away and I didn't like you know the cop he said even he admits that the cops never saw anything and there was nothing out there there's no buildings, no, like, it, clearly this was just an empty, like, clearing. Yeah, but, I mean, so, there was one thing that we saw out there. Okay, yeah, we saw some roadkill. No, like, we saw... I don't want to have this argument again. We had, we saw, the, the audience needs to know. <laughs> Fine, We tell, tell. We saw the mummified remains of a deer. We saw roadkill of a deer, and Zach lost his mind. 
listen, there, you cannot tell me that that was roadkill. It wasn't rotting the same way that roadkill rots. Listen, I don't know enough about how corpses rot to refute what you're saying, but to me, it looked like roadkill. Listen, it, the, the skin was shrink-wrapped <laughs> around its bones. It's fine. Okay, fine. I don't want to argue. Okay, we can agree to disagree. I don't want to argue in front of the audience, Zach. We can agree to disagree on this, <laughs> but I'm I'm going to say it. either way, it was spooky. It was. It, there was a vibe out there, and it, it doesn't help that it was, like, getting dark while we were out there in kind of this wooded area. So, yeah, it was, honestly, it was, a like, other than how sad it was seeing this guy, it was a pretty fun little, like, detour. Yeah, I so, mean, it, it was pretty. Yeah, but... Anyways, we'll uh, we're gonna get back on the road, Cammy. So we'll yeah, we'll touch base with you once we get to Tennessee. Yeah. So we'll talk to you then. Yep. Okay. Bye. Bye. Lower Forty Eight is a production of Winterhawk Podcasting, written and presented by Zach Barry and Austin Meredith, with music by Tyra Orgill.